This is Birth Aloud Radio, where we challenge the status quo around that most basic human right, how, where, and with whom we are allowed to give birth. I'm your host and the founder of Birth Monopoly, Kristen Piscucci. Today on Birth Aloud Radio, we have Melissa Piso, who is the mother of four cesarean babies, all living in the land of enchantment, which is New Mexico, for anyone who doesn't know. I actually had to look that up. Even though I knew you lived in New Mexico, (laughs) I actually didn't know that that was what it was called. (laughs) I was introduced to Melissa through her doula, Carrie Murphy, who I work with on advocacy stuff and doula stuff. And she's also a freelance writer. So, you know, we've, we've done some work together there. And I was doing a little bit of research for a friend who has a cesarean scheduled in a few months. And Carrie put us in touch because Melissa has had four cesareans and has sort of learned the ropes. I know that by your fourth baby, you were like, all right, this is how I want it. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this. I have never done a show on this topic. Just to start off, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that there's even anything they can ask for with a cesarean. Like, I think you just assume they have their way of doing things. You go in, you do what you're told, that you have a right to have a voice about how it goes. And I think maybe this is a good place to start (laughs) with the conversation because I really loved what you said to me before when we talked, you had your non-negotiables and it was like, this is my birth. This is what I want. If these things are not happening, don't bother putting the IV in. I will walk out the door and come back when people are ready to help me (laughs) have what I want to have. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because like I said, I think that's, that's a different approach, I think, for a lot of people. Right. And I would say that that approach only works if you're not in an emergency situation. So as long as you're feeling comfortable with yourself, like you know that you're not in any harm and your baby's not in any harm, then like I was walking into a scheduled cesarean. So I knew that everything is fine right now. And I'm able to like say those things and say no. But I would say that if you have been in labor for 24 hours and they want to say, okay, we're going to have a cesarean now, but there is not any sort of, if they're just saying it because, you know, the time is up and not that like, oh my gosh, your baby, we need to go in right away. Then you can still have those, you know, however many hours it takes to kind of talk about what you want. And then if you are going in for a scheduled cesarean, then you can really, really talk about like a lot more of the options that you have. I kind of wanted to touch on like your situation with your, with your care team, because that was sort of, that was sort of unique where you were at the university of New Mexico, where, which by the way, which people may not know, New Mexico is actually a really good place for birth. Like for just generally speaking, I should say, generally speaking, it has one of the lowest cesarean rates in the country. It has a really high home birth rate. Yeah. Um, I think because they're covered here compared to maybe other States, they're covered I think Something. it also I don't know. <laughs> with the indigenous culture. There are other states where I think you would have to spend, you know, $5,000, $6,000, $7,000 for a home birth. And here, a lot of the times they are covered. So I think that that makes it easier for people. Because if you don't have that money, then you're not choosing that type of birth. And so I feel like here, that's another reason why it's really helpful. So 
Yeah. There are more options like having a home birth or having a birthing center birth or having a hospital birth. So. Right. Right. So just generally speaking, they care about women's choices. Yes. Totally. <laughs> and then you had a really wonderful doctor, Larry Lehman. Yes. At the University of New Mexico, who I actually met a couple of years ago when I was there for one of their conferences. And um, he's amazing. Tell us about him. I mean, he's yeah, he's. He's great. Everyone in the city like loves him. There's so many women here that want him to be there um, at their births. So I think one of the things that really stands out that he says often is like, this is your body and this is your baby. That's something that he often said to me um, when I was in his care. And that is like such an empowering thing to hear. So when I walked in, I was having, I was on my fourth pregnancy and I was like, I, I really want these specific things. And, you know, he was the first doctor to really be more open about, yeah, let's see if we can have these, th you know, let's, let's try, let's try to have this uh, happen. And then, you know, once it all happened, then it was like, I ended up being like the very first family centered cesarean at UNMH with Dr. Lehman. And since then, he has invited, he invited me once to go and talk in front of like a lot of doctors, which was kind of um, very scary for me, <laughs> but he uses my information and my pictures and my story often through talks about obstetrics. So yeah, he always, he um, sends me an email or he, or he calls me like every maybe two years to make sure that I'm still good with him using uh, my story and my pictures. And so it's really nice. And once in a while I see him in town. And that's that's awesome. Well, yeah. he seems like a real advocate and a real, like he's on the cutting edge, which is really yes. cool. He's amazing. Yeah. Every, every community needs a doctor like that. Right. They call him like the midwife of doctors in the hospital, you know, like he's just so amazing. So. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, good. And so since then, there have been other people who have had these family-centered cesareans yes. because Dr. Lehman was willing to do that with you. Yes. And giving them those options and not the way that like, for me, it was more of, of me like saying, I guess I would call it demanding, right? I was like demanding, like, this is how we're doing it. And these are the, these are the things that are going to happen. But I, I can't say for sure, but I assume that now Dr. Lehman gives those options and talks about those options with his patients that are going to have a cesarean. And so I think yeah. that is, that has changed. So what were, what were some of the specific things in your prior three births that you were like, that is, I do not want to repeat that thing. Okay. So um, one of them would be not having a second person support person. So in my first Oh goodness, maybe two births. My first two births, I just had my husband in the room and there wasn't somebody else there to uh, give support to me. And with my third birth, I always hired home birth midwives with, with the first three in California where I lived. And with my third child, my midwife was invited in the room. And that was like pretty amazing. So, so at that point, I was like, oh, I really want to have somebody in the room. So in, for my fourth birth, I actually hired a doula, Carrie Murphy, who you talked about in the beginning. And so, so that was really, really great. You know, even to me, the idea of a doula in a cesarean 
is a relatively new thing. And I do yeah. this all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I even have a hard time describing to people why yeah. the benefit of having a doula in an OR because we don't, we don't typically right. think of doulas as, you know what I mean? Outside of right. like natural or unmedicated births or, you know, however you want to describe that. So, right. No. So the, so hiring a doula for me was really important for several reasons. Um, one was to have somebody in the room so that my husband can kind of focus on, um, his own, um, what is, I don't know, like his, you know, his own feelings, his own, like his own experience. So having him focus on his own experience of the birth and being able to stand up and kind of look over and see what's going on. And now they have clear, clear drapes. But when I had my fourth cesarean, they didn't have clear drapes at the time. So he always had to like peek over the probably, I always think it's so much taller than it is. Like when you're in those like OR rooms, you think that your body's like 10 feet away and you think that the curtain, you know, the drape thing is like, five feet high or whatever, but it's probably really only like a foot or two. I don't know. So he probably really wasn't like, I'm, I can't see, but <laughs> that's just like in my own head. It's so funny how I think that way. Well, your it's head's like, probably like oh, a good three feet lower than him at that in so, any moment. Yeah, so. It's so weird. Anyway. So yeah. So he just seems like he's so, so high up there. Uh, but anyway, so having him be able to watch the procedure. And I guess not every partner would want to do that, but I think most do and not have to worry about like, how are you doing? Like talking to me about what's going on, but I want that person, you know, I want someone there to say what's happening, what's going on. And also asking me, how are you feeling right now? And rubbing my forehead and just soothing me, like giving me that soothing time while my husband doesn't have to, I guess, was like what works best for me. And then, well, and I, sorry. And I would also yeah. say, especially if you have an anxious partner, right. Or, an, it would or be a even partner more. who you mm -hmm. think like they might have some additional emotional needs. Right. It seems like that could be really critical. And like your, and your first cesarean, I would say would be like the number, you know, like, yes, hire that doula for your cesarean. It seems so people think of it. So like, why would I want to do that? but it really is so important because you don't know what your partner is going to, you don't know how they're going to react, what's going to happen, you know, who kn they might need a little bit more support where that the doula might be able to also give them that support as well as you. Um, so all of those things, cause we, you know, it was our fourth before we hired a doula and now I'm like regret, you know, some parts of me are like, Oh, I regret that. I wish I would have hired a doula the first, second and third time. But so I definitely recommend doing it the first time. An another thing that, that Carrie, our doula, did for us is um, she took pictures, which Dr. Lehman uses, which is amazing. So yeah, they, so pictures, of course, who doesn't want pictures of their birth, even if they are in the OR? Yeah, yeah. no, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, because you're not, like, you really, I don't know if you can get to the, I mean, maybe you can, but if you're, you know, you're the patient and you say, I'm going to, I want my partner in here. I want my doula in here. I want my photographer in here. I, I mean, maybe one, maybe one day that will happen, but in the meantime, you can kind of combine the two. Um, yeah. They don't have to be. Yeah, a, a but to have a picture of like that, yeah. that, the first time you touch your baby or you hold your baby or you see your baby, I think is really, really special. Right. Yeah. I mean, those pictures are so, I'm so glad that I, I just handed her, I was like, here's my camera, take pictures with my camera, please. And I'm so glad I did that. So there were other moments of having, you know, why you would want to have a doula. 
before we even went into the OR, I was having a really, they were having a really hard time um, getting an IV put in. And I guess that that probably happens maybe more often than not because they, they don't let you like eat or drink. And so you're, beco- so you become dehydrated. And uh, I don't know how many, it was like nurses after nurse and then the, the charge nurse. And then they finally just had the, the anesthesiologist. The mm-hmm. anesthesiologist actually had to put in the IV for me, but I was getting poked so many times. I was, I was having a real meltdown at that point. Like we are, gonna, we are not going to do this, you know? And Carrie was there, my doula, to be able to really talk to me and calm me down. And she took out like a massage, like a little back massaging thing and kind of rolled that over my back and just definitely calmed my nerves, which was needed at that time. Uh, So things like that are really important where, you know, there are moments either before your cesarean or during your cesarean or after your cesarean where a doula is is needed. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just thinking it's all just such a big unknown yes. to have somebody Always. Who just kind of has an idea about what's happening already and right. has a sense of calm, I think is a really right. big deal. So then my baby was a boy and he was, we had had three girls prior and we never had any issues. They never had a breathing situation, but he did. He was, I guess they didn't like the way he was breathing. And so they they took him and like the rule for me and my husband is like someone has to stay with the baby at all times, either me or him. So he went with the baby and then, and then Carrie, our doula was able to stay with me. And that was probably a good, maybe an hour. I, I don't really know. Cause it's hard to re- like remember all that. But so she was able to stay with me during that time as well, because they were still getting me sewn up and, and the baby and my husband had left uh, the room at that time in the OR. And so if I didn't have a doula and everyone, ha- you know, everyone does it different. Maybe some people are comfortable with the baby being alone or some people are, would have their partner go with the baby and then they would be alone and, and you don't eat, you can't predict if that's going to happen or not. So, so having that doula there for that, you know, having a doula there for that reason, um, I think is like you said, it's, everything is so unpredictable. You have no idea what's going to happen. And just having that one extra support person really makes a difference. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. What was another thing either on your list or that you think people should be really aware about for their, if they're making a list of what they'd like? Sure. Um, so another thing is having your partner come in the OR right away instead of waiting until at the very last minute, which is how I think it, the protocol is having them come in right at the la- like right when they're just going to start. And so instead of doing it that way, when you walk into the OR, to me, it's like very, it feels cold and very bright and very foreign and unknown. And you don't know any of the nurses, none of, you know, the birthing, the birth team, I guess is what it's called, the birth team there. So being able to have somebody to, for me, hold my hand and like when they put the spinal in, that is just like, I don't know how people can do it without wanting to hold someone's hand or without being like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's very uncomfortable. It feels very strange. And I have in the past had without my husband in the room and I just, it was just the worst for me. I feel like those moments are kind of traumatizing for me anyway, to walk away from that whole birthing situation and feel like, oh, I wish that I would have had somebody to comfort me during these moments of 
unknown, feeling scared, feeling really worried because this is a major surgery and something can go wrong and being alone. I, w- I guess from the beginning, I just want that support person there to, to comfort me and to say that, you know, you can do this, uh, you know, like that. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Because I mean, from, I would say at least the 24 hours prior, if you have a scheduled cesarean for me, I feel very like, am I do- like, what? like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, this is so major. Like, what if something happens to me? I get kind of worked up a bit. Um, And then when you're actually like walking into the OR and you're by yourself, that just, it like kind of all comes to you in that moment, feeling very vulnerable, very worried, very stressed and anxious. I mean, that is, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm tensing up listening to you (laughs) and I can, you know, like I can sort of imagine it. Yeah. So, so that's something that I, I really, I really like having, and it's not like a huge ask. So they, they've, they've said yes. So I think I've had it. Well, and I think as far as, you know, support people go, so you are surrounded by medical professionals yes, and they're really there to do a job. Like they want to have a safe, uncomplicated surgery happen. And you're also dealing with I want to have a safe, uncomplicated surgery. And also I'm having a baby. <laughs> right. And so you're so emotional. They're not there for your emotions at all. <laughs> yeah. So I can see how that would be like a very split kind of a dissonant thing to be, to have all of those emotions and kind of, you know, that's not necessarily shared by the, the other people in the room or not, not necessarily that it's not shared, but they just have a different focus and yeah. Yeah. Right. They're not like, Oh, let me hold your hand while this, while this big needle's going into your spine. <laughs> you know, that's not, and I wouldn't even ask, I feel like I wouldn't even want to ask them because I don't know them. So anyway, so that is something that. Well, they're not doulas, right? To me. <laughs> that's right. why you had a doula. Yeah, yeah. Right. So one of the, one of the other things that I ask for in a cesarean birth is that I want the umbilical cord delayed the cutting of the umbilical cord to be delayed. And they usually can only do two minutes. Maybe I think two minutes is pretty much what it is. I would say, Oh, it'd be so nice if they could do five minutes, but two minutes is pretty much the, in the OR, that is what they can give you. So I usually ask for that. And, you know, for anybody who doesn't know about that, I think like that's becoming more and more settled science that letting the baby get their blood from the placenta is really important. Right. Because they have like a third of their blood is in the placenta. So to give that blood time to get into the baby is really, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a safety thing. For sure. Yeah. So, so usually you can totally ask for two minutes compared to like having a vaginal birth where you can wait until it stops pulsating, I believe is. Yeah what my first and second birth plans look like. I'm sure there's another thing that I'm not thinking of at the moment, but well, we did talk about seeding, which is something that I was not able to do, but it was in my plan as something that I was asking for to. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know too much about that just because I didn't do it. Uh, but I have heard really good things about it. And um, I think more and more doctors are 
being asked. So that is something to research and to look into more. It's just something that unfortunately, because I was, I tested positive for whatever that I'm like, so out of the birth. I'm like my, my youngest. I can't remember the terms anymore. (laughs) Like I used to know all the things. And then I guess, cause I, you know, four was my, my last kid and it's been almost four years. It's kind of crazy. But what is it called when you are, you test positive for something and they're like, oh, you know, we don't want you to do that. Group yeah. B strep. Group B strep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it is. Group B strep. So I tested positive for group B strep. And because I tested positive, then Dr. Lehman said, oh, you, you definitely don't want to expose your baby to that. So yeah. let's not do that. Yeah. He yeah. Was, he was totally on board. And the friend after me that my doula carry doula for got, was able to do it. So I know that he's totally for that. And I'm sure that more doctors are getting on board with. with Yeah. Well, and I know like, you know, there's not a ton of evidence about it. Right. Right. But I think it's funny because like the one thing that the one sort of objection that I think the national obstetricians group has is, well, we don't want to get all those like, like dirty vaginal bacteria on your baby. And it's like, well, but like would have when a baby comes up. out of vagina, like that's what they get. Like that's, you know, and it's right. a good thing. <laughs> so we like, know no, we're trying to, we're trying to like channel that or whatever you want to call it. Right. right. We're, yeah. we're trying to, we're not trying to avoid that dirty bacteria. We're right. actually going for that dirty bacteria. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's definitely and, something that I would recommend, even though I wasn't able to do it. It's still, it was still on my plan and it was still something discussed and I had the gauze and I had the, I had like a sterile Mason jar with, you know, the gauze inside. And that was going to be where I would, you know, wipe down there and then we would wipe it on our baby and all of that. And it would, yeah. and what it was is like, the doctor is like, yes this is fine, but it's like, remember how I said, Dr. Lehman is very much a, your body, your baby, same sort of situation where it's like your body, your baby, you do this. I'm not doing it, but you do it. That's fine. You know? Oh, so he was like, he was like, I'm not going to do this for you, but you are more than welcome to want to do this vaginal seating with your baby. Although I don't recommend it (laughs) because of your Oh, for me, no. So he was, so before I was tested positive, we were already having. Oh, this. I see what you mean. And okay. so he was like, yes, I'm, yeah. He was totally like, yes, this is your body. This is your baby. Go for it. This is totally fine. Except for, <clears throat> it's not something that I'm going to do. Like I'm Got not going to yeah. take the gauze and wipe your, you know, your baby with the gauze, like that sort of thing. Got it. He was like, yeah. this is something you need to do. But then yes, once I was, once I tested the positive, then he was like, I absolutely do not recommend this. So then we were like, we totally trust you and we're not going to do this. So yeah. 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 Um, Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Melissa. Are you confident supporting your clients in their rights? A must course for birth workers and worth one and a half contact hours towards your continuing education is my Know Your Rights Legal and Human Rights in Childbirth course. Really understanding your clients' rights and the context for those rights is a game changer. You can do this. Go to bit.ly slash birth 
rights. The link is also in the show notes. Podcast listeners, get 10% off with the coupon code PODCAST. And we're back with Melissa talking about having a family-centered cesarean, having the best cesarean you can. We talked a little bit about three things that you can ask for in your cesarean, or I guess you probably wouldn't say ask for, you would say insist on, demand, (laughs) Um, assuming the circumstances are such that you can do that, you know, that it's not some sort of emergency. And then I think there were, there were a couple more things that you wanted to cover as far as what you would, what you would request or ask for or demand or insist on. Yes, definitely. Um, Another one of, well, my, my absolute number one thing that I didn't get with the first three cesareans is to have the baby come directly from your womb. Let's call it womb because it's not always the vagina, right? (laughs) Directly from your womb to your chest. There was no other, like, I guess it's disconnect is what I would want to call it. There wasn't a, there's not a disconnect. So with my first three cesarean births, I felt a disconnect. I felt a disconnect from the baby going to a baby nurse or my husband or wherever uh, with my first, and I'll just bring this up now with my first birth, which was my most traumatizing cesarean was the anesthesiologist was a real jerk. He put my arms in restraints and he also told us what the sex was. When we, we told everyone in, in the room, we do not know if it's a boy or a girl, please do not tell us. And the anesthesiologist is right above my head and he says, it's a girl. And my arms are restrained. He's in complete control of the whole situation. When my baby does come over to me, he, I'm like begging him to please, please, please let my hands go. Once he finally does, and my husband's holding this little burrito, you know, just the little face that's so bundled up, this little baby. And my hands are so numb from being restrained that I can't even feel my baby because there was that numbness. So there wasn't that like connection. So that was my first experience of just like such a a huge disconnect. And with my second and third babies, I wasn't able to have that connection from the womb to the chest. But what I did do, my midwives actually did it, is they, once I was in the recovery room, they went ahead and put the baby down by my vagina and then did the motion of you are, you are birthing your baby. And this like complete feeling of like, being in control, you know, or being, you know, just this like over, I don't even know how to explain. It's like this overwhelming feeling happened. Those times where I was, the baby would come from, I keep wanting this, you know, vagina, womb, whatever you want to call it over, you know, above my stomach onto my chest, that sort of just like that motion, that feeling that to me is like this connection that you, you don't want that person in the middle happening. And so with my fourth uh, cesarean birth, that was one thing I would say out of all of the asks or demands (laughs) that I was like, I really, really, really want this. I mean, I was just like, this is something that I absolutely need. This is my last baby. 
this is something that I've been really, really wanting to happen. And the anesthesiologist, of course, they always say the anesthesiologist <laughs> makes the decisions in the OR. And we had the most amazing anesthesiologist with our fourth baby. And he was like, oh yeah, if this is what you want, go for it. We'll do it. No problem. And I was like, okay, like we're doing this. Like I have, you know, I went through my list and everyone is on board and everything is happening exactly the way that I'm asking for it. And and I don't have to leave the hospital, which is definitely something that I was like, if we do not get everything happening, then I will, I'm out the door. So in that moment with the fourth baby, they lowered the drape and they took the baby out, did the two minutes of um, a delayed cord clamping. And then they just gave me my baby, <laughs> like right there, you know, there was no, before it was like the nurse would take the baby and then they would go around the drape. And so you wouldn't actually see your baby until, mm -hmm. until after, you know, mm -hmm. and, and instead it was like, they lifted my, I think, you know, I don't know who lifted my head. Someone lifted my head or maybe the anesthesiologist, anesthesiologist did. Cause I think there is like a, the way that the OR table is. But anyway, so my head got lifted and I got to see the baby come out of me. The two minutes go by so fast, two minutes in the OR. It's really like, it just, everything is happening. You know, they're doing all these, making sure, I don't know, you know what I mean? It's a surgery. So they're just going, they're doing all these things. Two minutes, go, you know, fly by. And then the baby just comes straight to me from the womb to my chest. And just that amazing feeling with all that oxytocin is just like, ah, like it was just a dream. It was like the most amazing high you could ever imagine. That's so, awesome. so that's something that I wish that we can all, you know, we can ask for, we can put it out there and more and more women can, can really request that. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really, really important. I know that, you know, I've worked with a lot of moms who've had cesareans and let's say that's, that's probably the most important piece of the whole experience is having their baby either come to them or not having their baby come to them tends to be the most traumatizing thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really, I think that's really key. I mean, you know, it's biology, like you can't fight biology, <laughs> right? you know, it's like such an overwhelming instinct. And I think that, you know, the way that TV and movies like depict cesareans are that, you know, the mom is just like on the OR table and then the baby is taken out and then, you know, over here and being warmed and doing this and doing that. And I don't even know what's happening. And you're just like, where's my baby? You know, what's going on? I don't think that that is necessary unless there is a medical reason. Like the baby is mostly, you know, I would say, of course, there are babies that you have a cesarean and the baby does need to be whisked away. But I, I would say the majority of cesareans, that is not the case and that the baby is totally yeah. healthy and fine. And the baby can go straight onto the mama's chest. Now so. there's a lot of great research about skin to skin in the OR. And that is definitely the evidence-based practice, not just, not just because that's what moms want and like, but because that is what is safest and healthiest for both mom and baby. Right. Have the baby go, go straight to the mom's chest, skin to skin. Not, right. not wiped and swaddled and wrapped and everything else, but like the actual skin to skin. Right. And it's not something that I think when you're in that moment, you're not even thinking about like the, like you're saying the medical pieces of it. It's just like this, I, I don't know the word, but just 
urge. It's urge. Yeah, exactly. The urge, the urge of like, you need this to happen. Like this is instinctual. This is the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah. 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 Like a real primal feeling, I guess. Yeah. 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 So that, that to me is like, I want to see or hear, I don't need to see, but you know, see as in on social media or hear about more cesareans where babies are just going directly skin to skin. Yeah. And I think we haven't even begun to explore the psychological implications, but I, you know, just know from my own experience that with other people that it seems to have a, there's a major psychological impact there. So then the other thing, the last item that you wanted to talk about actually, you know, kind of fits into having your baby, which is the restraints. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That you can't hold your baby if your arms are tied down. Oh my gosh. I am. That was like, I feel like that was just the, the worst, the most traumatizing thing out of, if I think back to all four of my cesareans, that is like just the one that just, I'm so sad about it. It's very upsetting that they would even need to do that. Like just tell a woman that, Hey, you cannot place your hands below your breasts or whatever it is. I think that's about right. Like, I think that they put the drape right below your breasts and that, you know, I'm sure that they're <laughs> they're not going to like, I know it's not <laughs> like they're going to just like, let me, let me put my hands down in that. Like, you know, mess you got going on down there, <laughs> like yeah. sterile field. But my point is, is that you know, we we can we can follow the rules. You just have to let us know, and you can trust us. And I think and, out of everyone in the room, you're the most likely to follow a rule when it right. comes to, right? Yeah, the- you're. Yeah, you're like my. Be- yeah, I'm just. This is a pretty big moment for you. Yeah, so. you have the the biggest motivation out of everyone. So. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So. Yes. I, I'm, it's sad to even hear that it's still happening in hospitals. And I, I hope that that goes away completely. It's a, yeah. I remember getting an email once from someone who lives in England and she was like, I just heard that in some hospitals in the U S they actually strap women down. Is that true? I'm horrified. What is happening over there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They still do that some places. And it's just one of those things where like people just accept that this is how it's done and they don't question it and they think they have no right to question it. And right. they, they're, you know, we, we just live in such a fishbowl in so many ways. You don't even realize that this is not how it's done, even in other hospitals in the country and certainly not in other countries that have much better health outcomes and more humane practices than we do. So can we move on to postpartum really quickly? You had some really, I know you have like some really great things to say about postpartum. And I learned a lot when we chatted before about this. So have at it. Sure. Okay. Tell me about it. Um, Well, I'll start with once the baby's born and you have to stay in the hospital for a bit of time during that, uh, time. Well, it depends. Like, I mean, if you only have one child, then for me with having, with my last birth, having three children at home, then it was very important for me to have like a schedule of friends that were on, like, they were like, I think they were on like shifts, I would call it so that there was somebody there to support me when my partner was gone or or when my husband was with me in the hospital, then they were at my house helping my three girls 
make, you know, make dinner, give them a bath, whatever needed to happen, vacuum, what, you know, all the things, right? So that to me is like pretty important when you're still in the hospital to already have those plans made. Of course, not all cesareans are planned and I understand that. But once you know that you're going to have a cesarean and you're going to be in the hospital a little bit longer, I think it's important to reach out to your village if those are friends, family, whatever you have. And hopefully, I would say as a pregnant person, you would want to find mom's groups on Facebook or other social media sites Bef- you know, when you're pregnant and so that then you can really reach out to those, uh, to those people. Cause they're, cause most, you know, most moms are there to help. They're ready to, you know, do yeah. whatever it takes to, to make it happen. So in the hospital room, I had friends come to help me because I was, you know, you get worried that something might happen or say you need to take a shower and nobody's there and they take the baby. And I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with my baby being away from me if they want to, Oh, you need to rest or, you know, you hear those stories about that. So to me, it's just more important to have like a, an advocate, like a friend advocate for you or your husband to be there. So that's like the first little postpartum thing. It's not really as much about like the postpartum, care as much as it's just like an advocate in the hospital. I I highly recommend having an advocate in the hospital at all times. The next thing would be a meal train. I would say that everyone needs a meal train and there might be other sites. Meal train is like that, you know, mealtrain.com I'm sure, but there are other sites out there, but everyone needs to have about 30 days of meals so that they don't have to worry about it. So their family doesn't have to worry about it. I've heard moms that say, oh, well, my mother-in-law is going to be in town and then, or my mom's in town and then my mother-in-law's in town. So I'm going to have people around for the next, you know, two weeks or a month or whatever it is. I still recommend having those meals um, delivered because there's, there's a lot going on and there's a new baby in the house and it just takes a lot of time to you'll, And you'll end up, you will end up going in the kitchen and making food. Like, you yeah, know, even though you're not planned. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I would say regardless if you're having a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, you are, you should not absolutely not leave your bed. And I should get into that a little bit more because I don't believe in a bed for the first few days after a cesarean, once you're home, but you should not be getting up at all unless you are going to the bathroom. Someone else can change your baby's diaper and someone should be making the food. Someone should be helping with the other kids. Someone should be helping with your, you know, any sort of household things. If it's, mm-hmm. you're definitely not allowed to vacuum at all. That is on the paperwork. It's, it's very clear about the vacuuming thing because of having that abdominal surgery, of course. But yeah, you shouldn't be doing any of those things. I totally believe in the two week period, a two week postpartum period, bonding with your baby and really not leaving the room at all. Just staying there and going pee. And that's about it, you know? And And if not a bed, then what, what are you? Yes. So, so for me, I, after the first baby, I realized that it was just like the worst, worst to be in a bed after having surgery, because you can't get up. It's the most painful thing. And you're like trying to roll, you know, roll out of the bed or it's just, it's a total mess. And it's so, so painful. So after having our first cesarean, the next three we always purchased, usually off Craigslist, something used, some sort of a lazy boy sort of recliner. And that is so that you're pretty much going from the hospital bed to something else that is really 
helping you when you do need to get up. And it also is pretty comfortable because it reclines back and then the feet go out so that you can also uh, sleep in it and nurse in it. And it's, yeah, so, it's actually even better to nurse in it. Yeah. It's, it's safe. to nurse in it. Yeah. 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 What did you say? It's safer? Um, yeah, no, it just seems like it would be, it would be safer under those circumstances. Yes, for sure. And I just think even if you think about it, when you're breastfeeding, you always, you know, you're using that, like the breast friend was like the one I I had and I really liked it a lot. But when you're in a regular bed, like you don't have like arms like you do in a recliner to really like have that comfortable position to really you know, now, I remember, I remember my arms getting so sore from nursing because you're in this like locked position for right. so long and you're completely supporting the weight. Even if it's six pounds of weight after 30 minutes, <laughs> you know, right. that is, it's a lot. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, it was like, I don't know how many days it took me to get back into bed maybe two to five, or I would even go with five. I'm pretty sure it was probably like five because it's just so nice. Anytime that I was getting up to nurse, I would definitely be in that recliner instead of in bed. It was just so much better. And we were lucky to have our bedroom was big enough to kind of get a recliner in there as well as the bed. So that was a uh, helpful, but even if you're in another room with the recliner, I would say it's really is the, the best way to go and yeah, safe and comfortable. And not so painful. Those, sorry, I interrupted you. It's okay. I was just saying not painful because it really is. I just remember that first time it was so painful to get in and out of bed and I didn't realize. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where the recliner idea came from. But as soon as it happened, I was like, this is the most genius idea. Like we must have a recliner every time. And we always get rid of it. Like we don't need a recliner in our bedroom, but it's definitely like, a, you know, it's a, yeah, it's great. And something you could easily get because like everyone has a recliner in their basement or your parent does or your brother does or your neighbor does. (laughs) I just need to borrow this for a couple of months and then I'll give it back. So yeah, it's amazing. I know that you said, you said, I really want to make sure that I talk about having your feelings, dealing with the feelings of other people and the, the comments of other people related to the way you gave birth. Um, or are planning to give birth. So what do you want to say about that? Well, I just think that what happens after you give birth, people's comments that they make about that your baby is healthy and you shouldn't complain or whatever sort of comments are made, it is okay to not like how you gave birth. It is okay to be able to have those feelings and work through those feelings of grief around the birth that you did have and the birth that you wanted and what you didn't get and still be happy with the outcome, still be happy with the baby that's there, you know? Um, And I don't think we have to put them in the same pot, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) You can separate them into two different things. Like one is like, Hey, these are my feelings around the birth that I had. And then these are my feelings around the the wonderful, you know, blessed baby that, you know, it's like, they're two different things. Like blessing is what I meant to say. Yeah. So I just think that it didn't take me until maybe my second baby to realize that it's okay to, I remember one woman, I was in a mother's, a little new mom's group and a woman that had had, she must've had two or three kids. I can't remember, but she was like, 
you are allowed. She was just like so adamant because I think she just, the way that I talked and the way that I, I've always been, not as much anymore, but for a long time, I was very ashamed to have, not even want to tell people that I had cesareans because the way that I lived my life in general, people would never, ever think that I had a cesarean. They would always like assume that, oh, you're so natural. You must have, you know, had a home birth, whatever. And like, and I would just be ashamed to not even want to talk about my birth. And just this one woman was, was very, you know, she was just like, no, she was very strong-willed about it too. She's like, no, you are allowed. You are allowed to have these feelings. You are allowed to grieve your birth and it is okay. It is okay to feel sad and it is okay to feel angry. And that really like empowered me to be like, oh my gosh, I can, you know, I can have, you know, I can have both, you know, I can be sad. And you can upset. have more than one feeling. Right, exactly. But I think that like, you know, in general, like the people that maybe were surrounding me or not, the, that's probably the wrong word, but just like, you know, people, some friends, some family members, whoever it is that might say something like, oh, you, you know, you should just, you should just feel happy because your baby is healthy and nothing was wrong. And I think that those words, um, they're not helpful. They're not helpful at all. Not one bit. Cause it is okay to say, yes, I'm so happy that I have a baby, but I'm also really sad that the birth didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. And I, I'm, I'm really lucky that I've been able to work with Pam England who lives here in town. It's been a couple of years, but yeah. Cause so my, she's the, she's the, per, she's the birthing from within person. Yes. She's it's the birthing really, from within. Amazing. She did several years ago uh, with other women. We got together a bunch of us that had had cesareans and really worked through a lot of our, our feelings. And we, That's we got amazing. together. Yeah. We got together a couple different times and just, you know, we were able to really let that stuff out crying and, and grieving, just having those moments and, and walking away from them now. It's like, you feel so, you feel good that I feel, I feel more happy, you know, that I, I, that I did have a cesarean. It's still, it's still a work in progress. It always will be, I think, but you know, cause I planned on something completely different and now I'm in this other realm and it's, it, I think it'll always be something that I'm a little bit sad about, but I think every day, every year, it gets better and better. And I really embrace that, like, this is, this is what was supposed to be. And this is how it is. And, and I have these experiences to now, like from going from my first cesarean to my fourth cesarean and seeing the progress and what has changed. I, I think that that part is where I can be like, oh my gosh, like I've really, I've really grown. And I, I've really been able to, to just voice what I want and what I need and then being able to feel heard, I think is very important. So those mm -hmm. things have happened for me compared to that first birth that I didn't feel heard and I didn't feel like I had a voice and I didn't feel empowered at all. And I felt, and I walked away very, very traumatized to then have a completely different experience on the other side of it with my fourth cesarean. That's great. That's really awesome. We are out of time and I think that's okay. a good place to stop. Is there, so. <laughs> anything else? is there anything we've missed or any, you know, last thing you want to say or throw out there for anybody? Well, I mean, the only other thing that I wanted to say was that it's really, really important that we, that we love our scars, that we love them and that we, that we are grateful for them and that we also um, take care of them, which is like 
any sort of salves that you can find. You know, there's, there's a million different ones. When you yeah. say love our scars, you're not saying like have loving, not, not like, yes, right. But I you're want also you talking about like actually paying attention, showing love to your scar. Yes. As opposed to like having a set of feelings towards your scar, which I imagine those two things do go hand in hand. They do. Yes. I, I'm saying both. I'm saying yes, mm -hmm. that we need to look at our scars and love them. And so it's more, it's also, it's emotional and physical, I right. would say about the scars. So definitely like wanting to, you know, really embrace that. Like the, this, these, you know, for me, it, I was four times there. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very tender spot now. And I want to just, you know, it's like I said before about the other things, it's definitely still a work in progress, but it's something that I strive for that. I, I love my scar and that it birthed my babies and that I look at it and I, and I, you know, I'm like, wow, like you are an amazing woman who is able to, you know, give birth four times this other way, which is just as great as the, you know, it's just that sort of like love towards yourself as well as also because it does get irritated and, you know, sometimes there might be like an ingrown hair or, or just like a weird bump on a spot. That stuff just happens. I mean, it's just, that's, you know, where it, where it is too, because there's rubbing of underwear and you know, all that stuff. So yes, then there's the other physical part of it where you're like, oh yeah. And you should also like really love on it with some wonderful sort of salves or oils or whatever works for you, whatever yeah. you find that works for you. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great, I think that's a great way to end it actually even okay. better. Love your scar. <laughs> okay. I hope. Or show it right. love. Until you love it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Show it love until you love it. That's a good one. Thanks, yeah. Melissa. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hi, this is Kristen. I don't know if you've noticed, but there aren't a lot of shows like this one out there. And one big reason is it has never been my goal to get corporate or mainstream ad money. Nope. We are supported by folks who are part of the change. In fact, the show you're listening to now is made possible by Evidence-Based Birth, your go-to source for high-quality, unbiased information on the latest evidence-based care practices for childbirth. We love Evidence-Based Birth for its radical approach to changing maternity care, taking the evidence out of paywall journals and translating it right into the hands of parents, birth workers, and medical professionals so they can make change from the ground up. Like Evidence-Based Birth, you can help keep Birth Aloud Radio an independent voice challenging a powerful status quo. Email us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com to find out how. Again, that's birthaloudradio at gmail.com.